To be a Getty is an extraordinary thing. My grandfather wasn't just the richest man in the world. He was the richest man in the history of the world. We look like you, but we're not like you. It's like we're from another planet, where the force of gravity is so strong, it bends the light. It bends people, too. Mr. Getty, your grandson. Miss Getty, we have your son. Is this some kind of joke? 17 million dollars to release him. I don't have any money. Get it from your father-in-law. He has all the money in the world. Hello and welcome to the Vertical Viewing Podcast from Vancouver, British Columbia. This is episode number 151. The big one. And my name is Scott. And I'm Rick Chung. Welcome back to the show. Thank uh, you for having me. It's just you and I. Yeah, everyone. It's just Christmas holidays. You know, it turns out that your other co-hosts have families and loved ones they'd like to spend time with during oh, this uh, wow. holiday season. My family on the other side of the country, fortunately not able to see them this year. Shout out to the Wilsons, of course. With two L's. Uh, wh- wh- where is your family? They're in town, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, we just hate each other. <laughs> On today's episode, we're going to catch up on the films and TV shows we've been watching. Is there any film news other than everyone hates The Last Jedi? <laughs> no, the alt-right hates The Last Jedi. Yeah, it's all been a troll job, right? This, I, this petition, everything, it's all nonsense. I think people have legitimate arguments of the quality of the film, uh, but it's getting sort of drowned out. And I think it has a lot to do because that movie is just so different and really bold. And I think uh, someone mentioned how The Empire Strikes Back was not totally uh, entirely uh well received when it came out mm. and, and but now it's beloved and i think it's maybe a exactly. similar issue exactly if, if you look at some of the reactions for emperor strikes back they look similar especially me. with such a shocking twist people didn't necessarily believe it right they said i bet you this is fake and yeah. vader's lying yeah crazy right but we're actually here to review the shape of water by Guillermo del Toro. Oh, no, I believe it's Benicio del Toro, at, oh. spelled wrong as oh, yes. per Rex Reed. DJ, right? I believe <laughs> his name is DJ. Uh, that's, that was hilarious. Uh, or Soldado. Yeah. Did you see that trailer with him firing that gun like a fucking badass? Sicario 2, yeah. Soldado. Crazy. Uh, yeah, Shape of Water is here. You saw it about two months ago. A month and a half? <laughs> I... We've already talked about this movie twice. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing else. I mean, there's there's an assortment of other goodies that we're going to cover today, though. But what you want to do is you want to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, really, is what you want to do. Leave us a five-star review. Five stars. Yeah. Leave us a recipe for, I don't know, grilled cheese. We've thrown that one out to you guys before, but uh, we used to ask for recipes on the iTunes page just for shits and giggles, right? But... Yeah, throw in your recipe for blue milk or... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, self, we all know self, how that's made. Self-making bread. Well, oh, that's in the first one? I yeah. I want some of that weird, yeah, powderized fluff bread. I, uh, there's some cool name for it. What What if they want to contribute some other way? Well, yeah, there's other ways. You can go to verticalviewing.com. That's where all the podcasts live. Uh, and there's a donate button right there, which takes you to PayPal. That's if you want to have a one-night stand with the show. But what if you're looking for, like, I don't know about you, I'm a relationship guy. I want a longer-term oh, commitment. Are you really? Well, I mean... You look like one. 
I've like beautiful. how many times I've already been on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. The doors open all the time. So yeah, people for long term relationships, they can come this way. Patreon.com slash vertical viewing. We've changed how Patreon runs the show, right? You guys didn't want to pay surcharges on all all of your donations and that was quite the news story. Yeah, Patreon said no. So everything's all the same. So if you want to donate to the show one, two, or three dollars per month, uh, then you get access to the vertical viewing vault, all sorts of goodies in w- there. What are those levels called, Scott? Oh, well, it's hydrogen, helium, or lithium levels. Scientific. We want to build the periodic table out, maybe. Breaking Bad style? Yeah, yeah. We want to get up to uh, Einsteinium, I believe, is one of them. <laughs> well, I, want, you, I want the unobtainium. Unobtainium, yeah, yeah. We're, well, we're getting that in 2019, I believe. And then Avatar 2. Once a year for the rest of our lives. Yeah, the new Star Wars. But on Patreon.com is where you can get Jake Gyllenhaal reviews. Uh, He's in a box. We're going to let him out one day. But uh, Prisoners is up there. Uh, We've also got Chappie. You can check that out. We just reviewed The Big Lebowski, which is, come on. I mean, come on. Got to have a white Russian with that. (laughs) Come on, though, right? The big fucking Lebowski. I have to say, one of the best podcasts we've ever recorded, one of the best reviews we've ever done is the big Lebowski review. So check that one out. Patreon.com slash vertical viewing. But if you don't want to get into it just yet, there's a freebie for you. Ooh. Yeah, and that's our audio commentary for the movie Knowing, which is a weird one, I know. But you probably haven't seen it. And if you have, you know that it's kind of a weird movie. But I don't get it. I mean, doesn't that movie, it just knows everything. What could you possibly contribute to it in a commentary? Yeah. But we we add the rest of the knowing that's required. Nicolas Cage is in it, so... From the director of Gods of Egypt. Yeah. We have a theory we're working on. It's the Alex Proyas universe. We believe Dark City to be a sequel to Knowing. If that makes any sense. No, you mean knowing's a prequel to Dark City. Yeah, that's what I said, right, everybody? <laughs> How can something be a sequel to a movie that came earlier? Well, it tells... I don't want to get into the theory, but uh, it, I'd have to ruin the end of knowing. We wouldn't want that. No, you wouldn't. It's pretty crazy. Okay. But you can also check us out on Twitter at Vertical Viewing. Uh, email us, verticalviewing at gmail.com. Let us know uh, what you want us to review, because the patrons got it. On their side, they can actually direct the show, uh, right? That's some that's some level of power. Yeah, yeah. You can tell us what to review. We got to do it. Serbian film, off, off limits. We're not going there. Yeah, Instagram still busted. Tell us how to get unshadow banned, please. Our theme song is by the Anti Theory. Visit him on SoundCloud. Rick, you have seen some films, I believe. Yeah, it's always a busy time of year. People sneaking in uh, screenings and like Christmas is around the corner. Mm-hmm. All these awardsy type movies. I saw Steven Spielberg's The Post. Oh man, this movie. This is best picture right off the bat, right? Nah, I don't know about it. Spotlight. One a couple years ago. This is for a co-writer of Spotlights. Uh, wrote, co-wrote this. Um, I, I got a secret for you, Steven Spielberg. He knows how to make a movie. He still does, right? Uh, this is about the Pentagon Papers. It's essentially kind of like, uh, speaking of prequels, a prequel to like all the President's Men, right? Uh, it's uh, Nick and Nixon's second term and all these leaked documents about the Vietnam War from the Johnson and JFK administration leak out. And it's all, it's, you know, Sp- Spielberg wrote, uh, read this, the script for this movie like eight months ago and said, like, I got to make this now. And he did. And it's, you know, it's not going to set the world on fire. It's not the greatest movie. It's just... So it's so hopeful. It's so timely. 
these themes about government overreach, secrets, uh, mistrust, and the power of uh, journalism. Uh, this, the cast is insane. Yeah, yeah. I never knew I wanted uh, David Cross and Bob Odenkirk in a serious 1970s uh, journalism drama, but they're great. And they share a scene together, right? Yeah, they're both reporters in the Washington Post. Uh, David Cross has like the worst comb over. He has this wig with a comb. <laughs> it's hilarious. And he's not not funny at all. Like They're both not funny. There are jokes in the movie. Uh, but like I would say most of the cast is like um, uh, a list like TV stars and like character actors, and it's also it's also a movie a lot about uh, women in the workplace because the main character uh, is actually uh, played by Meryl Streep, who is uh, Kay Graham, who this the this newspaper uh, back back before Watergate it was a, lo- a local paper and it had been run by her family and because uh, her husband committed suicide she became the publisher accidentally. And you have all these people talking down to her, even though she she owns the paper. Oh, crazy! It's like they're saying like they're saying just like random shit about a woman in the workplace running the paper, and she's like standing right there, and it's hilarious. And also Spielberg comments on how there. I mean, obviously, even today there are not a lot of women in news or journalism, right? And all and the entirety newsroom is like older white men, and obviously he can't create roles for women who didn't exist back then, right? There are a bunch of uh, female reporters, but they're not as important just because of the way things were. And the way he comments on that is really good. Uh, if, I, if I had a criticism, I would say the movie looks too good. What? Yeah. So, what do you mean? So you, I'm sure you saw Spotlight, right? Yeah. And I thought what I really loved about how Tom McCarthy made that movie is it's, you know, I used to be a journalist. I worked in newsrooms. Uh, journalists are often pudgy. They dress horribly. Uh, and it's like a lot of boring work. Reporting is like hard work. It's boring, and it's very not stylish or glamorous, right? And that's what made that movie so, I thought, so thrilling, right? They're just working hard day-to-day, breaking the story about the the Catholic Church. This movie is like journalism porn. Like, there are so many shots of the printing press that I never knew I wanted so badly. Like, (laughs) he lines up all the letters for the the paper, the stories, and, and like for just minutes on minutes uh, with his regular cinematographer, Janusz Kaminski. And it's gorgeous, but it's almost distracting a point because, like, everything looks so good. It's so lush. Like, uh, if you saw Munich or Lincoln and, like, that really sort of, like, like very saturated imagery, it's, like, mm-hmm. all over this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's probably one of my main criticism. But the movie is just, it's so hopeful. And, like, if you want to, if you know, these are rough times right now, right, especially in America... If you want to feel good about yourself and freedom of the press and all that stuff, I highly recommend this when it comes out uh, uh, probably uh, Christmas and next year. Is this a slam dunk for Best Picture as just like a fuck you to the Trump administration? I don't think so because it's very old-fashioned. Like maybe 10 years ago it would be. Um, also, Spotlight just won a few years ago. I, the Academy generally doesn't repeat itself. And also, this is a really weird year for movies. Um it's 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 solid. It's good, but it's not like it's not like you watch this movie and you say that has to win Best Picture. And also, I think it has. Um, I think if you're picking between this and like Dunkirk, which are the two sort of really traditional old school movies in this year's Academy Awards uh, race, I would lean towards Dunkirk just because that movie is so innovative and it takes a very um, uh, you know well told topic, war, World War Two, uh, and totally reinvents it in the way it tells it. Right. 
the post is very old fashioned, very classic, right? Is it just like a remake of all the president's men? Uh, so, so the movie ends with where obviously uh, with like with Watergate and where all the presidents begin. This is a lot of the same um real real life people, I think, in both films. Yeah. So Ben Bradley, played by Tom Hanks, yeah. is one of the main characters. I think Jason Robards. In- yeah, Jason Robards, one of the uh, finest American actors. Uh, obviously, Woodward and Bernstein aren't in this movie, and it's also hilarious. One of the main criticisms with All the President's Men, which was a great movie, was. Uh, Catherine Graham, the publisher, was not a character in that movie, which makes no sense, right? Because she clearly had a large role. So they're finally telling her story now. Yeah, and it's, uh, she's a great character. And great. It's, it's also absurd because uh, in the movie, she's like friends with Robert McNamara, the JFK's uh, defense secretary. And it's like, why are the press and government politicians like so close to each other, right? It seems crazy nowadays. Now. Yeah. It's, it's a good movie. Okay. I... I, I... It sucks that we have to wait so long for this one, but... Yeah, uh, it does. They're just getting it in for awards consideration, right? I mean, you know, he made this movie so fast. He made this in between Ready Player One, right? I, yeah, I can't believe it. That feels like he almost could have had them both out in the same year. It's like uh, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. He does this a year, lot. Right? Yeah, he, he does this a lot. Like, one for you, one for me kind of thing right and like there are no special effects in this movie right like i mean and it takes place mostly in uh, a newsroom so fucking at crazy. a mansion it's so crazy that his next film is ready player one after doing this so like stuffy it's the polar opposite of yeah, i mean he made i guess he made this movie in like less than six months because he yeah. read the script eight months ago it's like what ridley scott did with all the money in the world oh nice transition <laughs> all right which i saw this week and I actually really liked, but I feel really guilty about this because all the reviews I'm seeing for it are really bad. Really? A lot of people seem to dislike this movie. I I had an amazing time throughout the entire thing. At no point was I bored or distracted. I, I, I was engaged the entire time, which is more than I can say for a lot of movies these days. How did you feel about the movie before any of this happened, before the Kevin Space? Like, were you at all excited to see this movie? Well, that's the big question, right? Is the 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 no. framing and the subtext around this movie? No one wants to know about the movie itself. They just want to know how this scandal and reshoots have affected. Like, if if the if Kevin Spacey were not was not a human monster, and that movie had came out, and he had the same performance as uh, Christopher Homer, would you have been like, "Oh yeah, this is great. This is pretty good." Well, that's the question. It's so hard to divorce yourself, right? Well, Christopher Plummer's really good in this. As J.P. Getty, the billionaire uh, who refuses to pay kidnappers... That story, have you read, like... The no, ransom for his grandson. Such a sad story. Yeah, they cut his ear off. That, that, that guy had a horrible life afterwards. Oh, yeah. Absolutely terrible. It's, it, it's almost a much more interesting story to tell of John Paul Getty III, the, the young man who was kidnapped. What was his life after that? What, what is a rich man's life who was kidnapped and tortured and held for extortion... Uh, what happens to him afterwards and getting into drugs and like he's, he has all these diseases and a horrible life. But the the plot of getting kidnapped and then his grandfather, John Paul Getty, Kevin Spacey slash Christopher Plummer, because I will say, do you, you see his backside? Kevin Spacey is in this movie. 
He's still seen in in a bunch of wide shots. Uh, There's shots of him going into you know like could, could you heading, tell in the background heading into a build? Yeah, because he has a different build and the hair is different. Like there's a bald spot on the back of this version of the character, and Christopher Plummer doesn't have one. They couldn't digitally fill in his uh, real life bald spot. Uh, they didn't want to go for a Justice League kind of thing, <laughs> but the. The one shot in this that doesn't work is, you might have seen it in the trailer, is this train pulls up in Saudi Arabia and J.P. Getty steps off the train into this desert sort of landscape uh, and he takes his glasses off uh-huh. coming up to the camera. They obviously didn't take Christopher Plummer to the desert and reshoot this entire elaborate train sequence. So <laughs> it's the same like back plate and it looks like Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars Special Edition. Like it is, it is so painfully obvious that he is. It almost looks like he's just standing in front of the screen, and they filmed it. Like you can see Kevin Spacey behind him, almost. It, it looks really rough. And at that point, right at the beginning, I thought we were in for a rough ride. Where, oh, they're just like green screening him in. So originally, uh, people thought that maybe uh, John Paul Getty wasn't in much of this movie, so that they could have researched. But I heard that he's in a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. So Christopher Plummer is second build, and he is in a hell of a lot of the movie. He has a lot of lines. Like half the movie? Yeah, yeah. Over a third, for sure. And he filmed Um, this all like two weeks ago or something. That (laughs) is what is most amazing about all the money in the world, is when you're watching it, if you see this now, folks, you can watch scenes that were shot in, I think, November, right? Yeah, so Late he, November. He was just nominated for a Golden Globe. Do you think he might get nominated for other awards? He might. It, it's a great performance. And the way that he, this character, nego- this person negotiated his son's kidnapping just like any other business deal, right? Never pay full price for anything. Well, in, that's how rich people get rich. No, they I know. Stuff. And, and, and there's a line just like that. He says, that's how rich people get rich. He talks about getting rich versus being rich. Right. A lot of people think there's not a lot going on in this movie other than just this sort of dramatic thriller kidnapping plot. Um, but how's, how's, to, how's, how's, how's our boy mocking my Oh, he's not good. <laughs> no. But th- this movie has a, li- a little more to say about capitalism and what, like, the value of a dollar is and what, like, the value of a human life is. Like, it's an excellent performance from Plummer. It's so interesting, too, because I read an interview with Ridley Scott. Uh, I think he was talking about editing. And Chris, obviously, Christopher Plummer couldn't really do his own thing because they had to edit his performance in line with what Kevin Spacey did in the script, right? Yeah. So, like, that must be so difficult for an actor, right? Because you can't bring your own rhythm. He couldn't, like, do subtle things because then it wouldn't work in editing because they had to edit it so quickly. Well, and it's using the backbone of the entire existing film, right? Right. So they're not changing anything else. They're just inserting Plummer into it. Like, he probably you know, didn't meet a lot of the other actors he was doing his scenes with because it's, they're all like, you know, reverse shots. And the actors you're watching are in, it's strange because they're, they're performing against Kevin Spacey, but you aren't seeing that. It's kind of like, uh, it was, uh, Lex Luthor in Superman two. He, 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 they couldn't film additional scenes. And he's not in technically in the movie. It's just using footage from the first Oh, so they they shot both movies back to back. Oh yeah, but they fired the director. Yeah, and those people were done. Uh, it was it was uh, with Gene Hackman. I forget another character in the movie, 
And so for any new material they shot, they just had to use a double. And, and if you if you look closely, you can tell that it's all weird. That's a few shots in this where they, they're cutting around Spacey's back and, and him from a distance and stuff. But like I said, the movie has an interesting commentary going on about greed and success and so i'm definitely curious just because of all the the non-film related backstory but let's say you're just a person who doesn't give a sh- doesn't, doesn't care about like hollywood news or something going on would you re- still recommend this movie yeah yeah because of the the true life nature of like this is a true story yeah but you can just watch uh danny boyle's uh fx miniseries i know next, right next month trust with donald sutherland literally the exact same thing except uh, a miniseries yeah i think that might be a little better but um, you know, speaking of real life dramas, what do you got? We saw a little movie called I Tanya. We did, we did side by side. Yeah, we saw this on Monday. I've already forgotten a lot about it. I believe your reaction was I disappointed. Is that is that off target or is that? It's so funny because you like to you like to bring up these uh, five star letterbox uh, scores, <laughs> and you seem very down, and I seemed up, and we gave the exact the same exact score. same score. I know, I know. Uh, so I really enjoyed this movie. I didn't hate it. Uh, I thought Mar- like Margot Robbie is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. She plays the real life uh, figure skating icon Tanya Harding from age fifteen into her forties, and like obviously it's kind of stupid, but it, it's great. Yeah, totally yeah. pulls it off. She she owns the role. It's not necessarily Tanya Harding. It's it's a version of her. It's it's but... both the version she sees herself as and other people saw her as, mm-hmm. which I think is a little interesting dynamic. Uh, I think she got a raw deal in a lot of ways, but at the same time, uh, because of class, because of just the way the world works in America, um, she could only reach so far, right? And it's a pretty serious story in many ways of domestic abuse and a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, about this crazy real life story that sort of predated the whole like reality television OJ Simpson mm-hmm. stuff that uh, you know I think our our society is, is based upon now. Uh, it said like birth like birth the twenty four hour news cycle absolutely in some ways. Uh, the ending is amazing. I don't want to ruin it, but the way it transitions sort of the the the, the news media's focus is sort of you know onto the next kind of situation. Yeah, that I thought that part could have been played up a little more, and it if it was a little more kinetic, I think, I, it, I, think I would have enjoyed it. I, I don't feel like it didn't, Craig Gillespie. Yeah, journeyman director directed uh, Lars and the Real Lars Girl. The Real I Girl. love that movie. Yeah. He directed Mr. Woodcock <laughs> and uh, Finest Hours. He has some weird movies. Oh, I, million, I million Dollar Arm? That's the one. I feel like he didn't really have any interest in doing anything unique on the material here or anything notable or any there's no twist on other than being maybe vulgar and rude which so, reflects i thought tanya harding's do- upbringing the quote-unquote documentary style and the that comedy, was great the rashomon quality i think it's very difficult i think the way to describe this movie is if you had made uh the people versus oj simpson into like a two-hour movie with like no money this is kind of like that movie. Yeah. And, and, so, and it's a comedic ed- edge to it. They obviously. clearly had no... Some of the... Like, the figure skating in this movie is great, but some of those effect shots are rough. Oh, yeah. They're they're on the level of Blades of Glory, <laughs> I, I believe. But it works because the movie is so, like, slapped together and, like, is so unreliable in its narration that... And it's like some of those crowd shots look good. Some of the skating doesn't look good. Some of the skating looks great. It just... It, it has an energy and momentum that I think makes mostly makes the movie work. I really enjoyed it. 
Um, I would have liked some of that to be more stylized or, or you, like if, if, you're, if the effects aren't going to be as convincing as they should be, then you could have gone for a little more retro look or 90s kind of funky. I agree, but I still really enjoyed the hell of this movie. I, yeah, I, I had a good time the whole way through. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Sebastian Stan is incredible. Of Jeff Gulley. But oh man, the guy who plays the henchman. Yeah, I saw you getting some love from him on Twitter. I, so I, 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 uh, I tweeted out my review of the movie, which was not entirely positive, too. Like yeah. I, I wrote the stuff I didn't like, and he wrote back. Rick Chung shouted out the, the my Thank movie. Thank you so Thank you. much. We enjoyed, it. and it was, I thought it was so genuine. Right, it was awesome. And that guy's performance in this movie—he plays the the quote unquote bodyguard in terrorism, who essentially Sean, I believe, was essentially sort of like the instigator for the uh, the incident where uh, ta- uh, Nancy Kerrigan was hit with a baton. And his performance is so ridiculous and so earnest and genuine. He plays this guy who's just so stupid. And you, everyone knows an asshole like this who who lies to you and says that they they're a spy or or, or say, says that they know crazy jujitsu moves and they've killed somebody with their fucking bare hands or just some impulsive liar. It's the guy at the office on Monday morning. He says he did the craziest thing on the weekend and has like the hottest girlfriend you've never heard or seen of. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. And he's so stupid and dim-witted, but he's so earnest and he's hilarious. He's really great. And, and it, it's so believable to see that whole incident spiraling out of his ignorance and stupidity, right? And and that's it's such a crazy story. Like only in America, kind of, right? That, that scene at the Chinese restaurants where they're, he's... Jeff Galuli's confronting him, and I thought that was so hilarious because yeah. it's it's working on multiple levels uh, because of the FBI investigation. But they're both idiots, <laughs> so you're just constantly wondering, okay, who who actually knows what's happening, right? And the way it's revealed is so satisfying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you also watched Downsizing, didn't you? I literally just watched Downsizing, <sighs> Alexander Payne's uh, comedy, sci-fi. This movie is bizarre. So, so, so this is the shrinking Matt Damon movie, right? Everybody loves this trailer. When, hun, whenever this trailer would, honey, I shrunk Matt Damon. There you go. If, if this trailer ran in any theater I sat in, every time afterwards, oh, that looks great. Ooh, we got to see that. Ooh, this the concept of this really sells people. The idea of you know your your assets you have a hundred grand and if we shrink you down and put you in a small house then your assets convert to 12 million dollars because you don't need that much groceries or whatever the fuck and it's a weird metaphor for like human consumption and resource use yeah right yeah so if you've seen the trailer set to uh that's poppy song that's like is it a talking heads track yeah letting the days go by (laughs) yeah that's like that's just the beginning and premise of the movie, and it sells it as this like high concept broad comedy, right? This this is not that movie because it does have that Chris Christian Wig so like backs all, out at the last minute, right? All, all, and like his you, wife doesn't you, join him on this permanent journey. You see all these uh, comedians like Jason Sudeikis and Kristen Wig, and they're like they're not really in the movie. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris and Laura Dern show up for one scene, like the first part of the movie is just the introduction right and they take so much time so uh if i told you like yeah they shrink down and all that stuff you'd be like okay i get it they painstakingly show you there's like dead two dental scenes where it's like oh yeah we have to take out your fillings because we can't otherwise your head will explode when we shrink you because that's inorganic 
Yeah, yeah. And then they have a scene where they put in tiny when they get shrunk down. They put the, they put them back in, right? And um, no, this is a weird movie about uh, the extinction extinction of humanity and like um, refugees and Vietnamese dissidents. Like Whoa. Hong Chow, who is actually a great Vietnamese American actress. Uh, She's like really the main character of this movie, even though she doesn't show up. And I've heard a lot of great things about her performance here, but also a lot her of character, prob- her character is problematic also. So I think she's a fine actress. It's a fine performance. And if you've seen interviews with her, she defends the characterization, which I get. But it's also Alexander Payne is a white man in his 40s or 50s telling a story about uh, of, uh, a Vietnamese dissident who all she cares about is helping other people. Uh, it's it's a strange movie. It's I I described it as the mother of romantic comedies. It's <sighs> fucking crazy. There there are like like no jokes or laughs in this movie f- uh, after like the initial premise, and it it's so weird. Also, I don't know why Matt Damon is this movie. What? Like he? What is he, happening right now? He does nothing in this movie. It's also weird that a movie. St- it's like I don't think m- movie stars should be in Alexander Payne movies. Like, uh, like his movies work because, like, Nebraska, that's, like, w- it's Will Forte, right? And uh, Sideways was famously, uh, Joni Chikuni wanted to be in that movie, but Alex Payne refused and wanted uh, Thomas Hayden Church and uh, Paul Giamatti. And also, like, I like The Descendants, but I feel like George Clooney was distracting that movie. Matt Damon, this could have, like, he should have just hired some, uh, like, uh, alternative comedian to be the Matt Damon character. Because he really does nothing. He's just kind of there as a vessel. And I really wish this movie had been all about um, Hong Chao's character. She's great. That character is incredibly problematic for many reasons. But I kind of admire the f- them going there, right? That's fucking nuts, and though. People either, like, this movie has showed up on a few top ten lists. I think it was in The Hollywood Reporter. And there was a couple places that was, like, even number one. Yeah, and, I, th- and, I think and, LA Times or some magazine in and some Los people, Angeles. And other people hate this movie, which I totally get, too. Uh, I don't think it's entirely good, or I, but I kind of admire that it where it goes. Right? There's all there's a bunch of like Norwegian scientists. Uh, I don't know why Christoph Waltz is in this movie. He plays his fuck? Udo Kerr is in this movie. What Udo, is what are you talking Udo about? Udo Kerr right is like the fifth biggest character. These people could have played been played by anyone. It's also it's. I wish it had been. I wish the entire movie had been filled with people like Hong Chao, like really solid. Hmm. Like lesser known actors who could fill these roles, um, so like honestly, the, even the premise of downsizing didn't even need to be in this movie. They could have told the story of this movie without that, without this whole shrinking element. Because that it's it's the it takes like an hour. They, they, so why is this some bait and switch? What is the point of this? I feel like this was like a mini series that they if they if you told me this was like a full on like eight episode ten episode mini series that he edited down to two hours and fifteen minutes, I believe you. It's what like so crazy. Fuck? I, I got to see this now. I have We no, were going to review it, but then the 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 negative reviews killed it. I I mean it, it's getting decent. It's like I think it's like in the 50s in Rotten Tomatoes. That's which, not decent. That's uh that's can, what you call rotten. <laughs> I, I don't want to drag up this old it's yeah. not, it, to me it's not they're not crazy bad reviews. That's for that's Okay, it's not like bright. <laughs> Our transitions have been killer tonight. This is a killer. So uh, I'll just say this about downside. It's it's interesting, and I I I'll say this about a movie. Um, I could talk about this movie forever. Fuck. Uh, so we I got could, we got to review this maybe instead of Bright. 
I could not talk about. I saw Bright. I could not talk about this movie. Was terrible. This movie makes no, no, me. We can stay on down. If you have more thoughts on downsizing, you want to talk about it forever. No, no, no. I'm done with downsizing. <laughs> so Will Smith and his orc buddy. This like if you thought Suicide was Squad was bad, this movie was like oh no. Suicide Squad like had a lot of stuff going for it. It is not a good movie. They replicate so many of the same things in this movie, only worse. So this is basically Training Day with a goblin. Uh, he's an orc, Scott. Okay. And there are orcs, fairies, and elves in this movie. Yeah, fairy. They, what is it? Fairy lives matter or something oh, like that? Max Landis, if you're listening, which you definitely are not, how dare you listen to my podcast? Max Landis is, is, an, it, is, is, it, an, is an asshole, right? Does he still have the rainbow hair? No, that's. I saw him in Vancouver and yeah, when, he, when he had that. Yeah, he was rocking that throughout the whole scene. Driving his, I think it was a Lamborghini or something. Yeah. It was um, doing Dirk Gently, I think. This movie is terrible. <laughs> it is boring. It is uninteresting. I don't. Like, I knew this movie was going to be bad when the title card, A Trigger Warning Entertainment Production, came up. That has to be a troll job. <sighs> is that Max Landis's company? No, I don't think so. I think it's. Uh. This movie is terrible. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. The, the to me the intriguing element is they're looking for a wand. Well, fuck. Wait a second. <laughs> Does the racial allegory work at all? That seems really interesting. So the, in this world, the elves are like the rich people. They're like the one oh, percent. Man. And uh, they, <laughs> the, oh, man. the exposition is so clunky. They they go to a uh, the area of town that it's like ruled by elves, <laughs> and it's just elves just looking rich and white, and it's just so ridiculous. Damn! It also feels like a sequel to a movie that we never saw because uh, Will Smith gets sh- gets shot at the very beginning of the movie, and at first I thought that was like a in media res thing, like oh we're gonna no that's the actual beginning, uh, and he, and after that he comes back to work uh, uh, with his orc partner, and it's like well. <laughs> well, why did he? Why did he get shot in the beginning? And it's part of the plot, but it, it makes it, it's so it, it, yeah. it's so lazy. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's the, the, like the, the apparently so orcs and elves and fairies have been in uh, have been known for a very long time. There's like allusions to like uh, uh, all these other uh, cop characters played by Ike Barinholtz and people saying like, oh, you know, my grandfather used to like kill you in wars, kill orcs and fairies in wars. The world looks like our world today, just with these people. And uh, there's like a internal affairs officer who's an elf, and he looks so ridiculous. Fuck. And this movie, we're is... gonna we're gonna review this perhaps, <laughs> but you're talking me out of it. Maybe we should go for downsizing instead, right? Okay, you have to watch it because I. Well, Netflix is making me so. Yeah, because I personally don't think there's much of it's not good. It's not bad in an interesting way, right? And also, like when it's on Netflix, you cannot skip forward. Not skip forward. You just it just invites you to skip forward because the dialogue is so clunky, and the scene you're just like you were just skipping ahead in it, eh? Yeah, it's so hard not to skip ahead. <laughs> Damn. Okay. This movie is so bad. Uh, I actually like a lot of David Ayer's work. Uh, I like Fury a lot. Yeah, up until the ending. Um, like he, I feel like he's incapable of making different movies. Like, Suicide Squad was his most different. And then now this is just a remake of his usual cop movies with the Suicide, Suicide Squad uh, magical elements. It's so crazy. Like, 
all, if you hated all the weird mystical magical parts in Suicide Squad, man, you were gonna hate this movie. <sighs> Because it's like all that. That's all it is. Yeah, at least... Jesus Christ. They want to make a whole franchise out of this, right? And then they preemptively struck with that one. Netflix announced we're doing a whole series of uh, Bright films. It's so crazy. They they announced they were greenlighting Bright 2 three hours before the review embargo. The embargo. Why not do it way before or wait until after? Yeah, and there's only one positive review of the whole thing. Um, Variety, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think Max Landis even tweeted, someone unearthed a tweet from 2015 where Max Landis said, I just wrote, finished the script for Bright, and I think this might be my Star Wars. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's so audacious and so bold in the worst way possible. Worst ways possible. It's like, I'm, I'm on board for a, a weird, bizarre movie about orcs and elves. And That's why everyone's in t- intrigued, man. That's why everyone's going to hit play on this. Also, I don't know how and they'll this... make a second one because everyone saw it. I don't know. I don't know how this movie was $90 million. It looks like it was made for nothing. Yeah, that's the Adam Sandler effect, right? They they washed a bunch of money. They basically drained out half of that to funneled it into some weird scam fun. So this movie was originally, I believe, uh, developed for a studio, maybe Warner Brothers. And the reason why they went to Netflix is because Netflix was like, we'll just, you can do whatever you want. We'll give you your asking budget. But I think rightly so, studios were like, we're not going to give you $90 million to make this weird uh orc cop movie and they were and Netflix was like no well no 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 questions asked and i really think they could have done with a lower budget and more like studio interference like as much as we rail against it i think sometimes studios have good notes and there's none here there's uh, no, there, i guess yeah they kind of just i can't like also there's, if, if you have lines like fairy lives matter yeah, this the studio there are so be many good actors. Like Joel Edgerton plays the orc. They could have hired anyone. Why is you hire Joel Edgerton? Like he's just buried on underneath his, all his makeup, right? There's a lot of good actors in this he movie. He looks really cool though. He does not. He looks terrible. <laughs> he looks like a guy buried in uh, makeup. Uh, uh, all right, all right. What you know, you want to know what a character that does look good in makeup? Doug Jones, and not the senator of Alabama. Uh, Dougie Jones from season three of Twin Peaks? Not him either. It's been a crazy year for Doug Jones. Doug Jones was, are doing good, but I'm talking about Doug Jones, guy with the eyeballs in his hands. Doug Jones, Abe Sapien. That's right. Yeah. In the first and movie, then there's he has no name in Shape of Water, right? There's no name for this character. I believe he's referred to as... Uh, the assets. The assets. In the production notes, Amphibious Man. What does it say in the credits? I'm not sure. Let's have a look. I think I'm envious, man. Clean that lab, you get out. This may very well be the most sensitive asset ever to be housed in this facility. You may think that thing looks human, stands on two legs, right? But we're created in the Lord's image. You don't think that's what the Lord looks like, do you? This creature is intelligent, capable of language, 
of understanding emotions. When he looks at me, he doesn't know how I am incomplete. He sees me as I am. So that was a clip from The Shape of Water, an otherworldly story set against the backdrop of Cold War America circa 1962, where a mute janitor working at a lab falls in love with an amphibious man. Hmm. Spoiler alert. Weird, right? There is no shape of water. Well, it's whatever container. It's the ocean. It is in. That's the shape of water. It's the shape of your heart, right? <laughs> the heart of the ocean, I believe. The shape of water is directed by Guillermo del Toro. And Benicio spelt wrong. Yeah, you're right. Like a co-directing job, actually. The del Toro brothers. And it stars Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Doug Jones, Michael Stuhlbarg. Man, that guy's having an incredible year. Octavia Spencer. Where's our girl? I mean, we don't have Sally Hawkins, obviously the lead. She's great. Who is amazing. Uh, I hope she gets an Oscar nomination for this. She might not, but she plays a mute character, which is always challenging. Well, uh, according to Rex Reed, she's also handicapped, which makes no sense. Oh, damn. She's mute. There's, she's mute. And Rex Reed, in his review in The Observer, identified her as handicapped. Which Ooh, is, that, you don't need to go there. She's clearly not. She's a very capable character. Uh, she's like the smartest, best character in the movie. In the movie, yeah. So, Rick, you saw this movie last year. Um, <laughs> I saw this movie in mid-November. I wow. feel like I've literally seen like 20 movies since I've seen this movie. I, 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 I've talked about this twice already. Yeah, so I should go because I saw it a lot more recently than you did. I, uh, I'm not a giant fan of The Shape of Water. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's beautiful. The strongest thing going for it, I think amazingly enough for the characters which are surprisingly well-rounded and interesting and i feel like we get a little bit of backstory and just enough on every single person in the movie which is really nice i I, it's been a while since every character in a film has their moment to sort of i would get developed as as a person i would say the movie is very precise and efficient there's just enough period details that doesn't overwhelm you. Although it is f- funny that she lives like right under above a theater. Yeah, um, it's it's very on the nose, right? Yeah, and uh, Michael Shannon is a caricature in the best <laughs> Michael Shannon way possible. I know some people had problems with his uh, portrayal, but I enjoyed it because I love Michael Shannon. It's so campy. It's, it's entirely like the thing with his uh, his like rotting fingers. That's amazing. Th- Eating the candy is ridiculous. Although the, 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 mm, fun, but it's 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 very and everything is green, right? That one scene with his wife and his family—that was like what? Yeah, yeah, that was twisted suburbia. But that's a nice way of just rounding out every character. We get a little bit on everybody, right? And and Michael Shannon is the antagonist here, uh, but we still get some information about kind of how twisted he is and where his his home life is in relation to his professional life and. Well, Guillermo del Toro uh, famously, like he was obviously heavily inspired by a creature from the Black Lagoon. He says that he wanted to make a love story with that guy as the lead. And he says this, if this movie had been made when it is set, Michael Shannon would be the good guy, right? Because he's like the authority figure. Mm-hmm. He'd and, be the lead. In the, and the yeah. monster is the villain, right? And this this turns it, right? And it sort of humanizes all these characters who are like, every single one of these characters is an outsider, right? Richard Jenkins <laughs> plays like uh, an older gay uh, artist, 
who's uh who's uh Sally Hawkins' neighbor. Obviously Sally Hawkins plays uh, a mute who has like a very alludes to a sort of tragic backstory. Uh, Octavia Spencer who's like in any other movie she would be uh, a stereotype of this like sassy black woman uh, sidekick, right? She famously in the movie talks so much that uh, Sally Hawkins doesn't have to talk, right? Yeah, yeah. She does it for her, right? And Michael Stubarg plays this uh, really interesting character who is like, we, we're not quite f- sure of his motivations. He's a scientist who has this weird background. You don't know if he's a good guy, a bad guy, or how he fits in the story. It's great. He's got this this tie to the Russians and stuff. And yeah, all of that stuff is really, really good. I feel like his character, on top of just 2017 being the year of the Stuhlbarg. You got, you got Call Me By Your Name. You got He's in the post. He's great in the post. He might, he might win an Oscar for Call Me By Your Name. Or he might snag a nomination at least i think he's like that speech is gonna get him a nomination alone insane but yeah i feel like his character in in shape of water is interesting because he's great in it and it's a very very conflicted and and torn character much more interesting in a lot of ways than sally hawkins eliza as the the lead i mean to be fair he doesn't masturbate nearly as much as sally hawkins true yeah we we don't we don't open on a, on a bathtub shot of the stool bar. That what a way to start a movie. <laughs> Crazy, right? Like you're just seeing her routine and oh, with she's... the egg timer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of that is so on the nose, but I love it. And and the symbolism of everything, like having like the egg timer, and and she's cooking like the hard boiled eggs, which will be later given uh... to amphibian man, and it's all sexual and sort of reproductive. And there's there's a lot of crazy allegories and symbolism throughout the movie. Green. I don't know if you know, noticed this, Rick, but there's like green is a theme in this film, and a lot of things are green in it. So I thought I thought you were going to go a little more in depth with that. Uh, no, uh, no, because I, I don't know if Del Toro is. It's just hey, yo, look, shit is green. I, I, I don't. I really don't think there's any specific symbolism attached to any of these items, but you know the walls are are very <clears throat> specifically green, and the candies that. Michael Shannon is eating are very bright green and there's a very there's a different color palette. It's though. like a Hulk movie, man. Everything's pretty much green or This is like a Hulk movie. <laughs> green or sort of like gray. Like besides green, everything's pretty dull and drab, a lot of uh blacks and browns and silvers. It's a deliberate color choice, which I think they might have maybe overdone. It's got like got that harsh, like Cold War vibe to it. Um I like I don't really have anything negative to say. It's just very and like if I saw this movie, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's clearly Del Toro. But there's like it's not there's not it's not particularly risky aside from maybe the weird sometimes subject matter. Uh, you know, I really didn't like Crimson Peak that much, but I felt like he was yeah. he was taking a lot of risk. Right, he went for it with his gothic romance. And uh, in interviews, he's talked about how that movie was not as successful he liked because um, it was too expensive. He had to market it a different way, and so when he made this movie, he wanted to make it lean and very tight and efficient, and I get that, but I, I kind of, to me, the magic of his other movies, you know, like Devil's Backbone or Pan's Labyrinth or even Blade Two, it's like there's these weird oddball twists that sort of are his trademark, and I didn't feel enough of that in this movie, aside from maybe the... <laughs> The uh, copious amounts of merman on woman uh, sex. <laughs> well, yeah, we see that multiple times. But to me, they're just so magical and fantastical uh, that, it, like, to me, like the weirdest part <clears throat> is when um, uh, the amphibious man e- eats the guy's cat. Yeah, 
That's like, out of nowhere, right? Yeah, and like the weird bursts of violence that I think are his trademark. Um, not not that I want to move the movies to be more violent. I just I wanted that more of those like sharp turns that I think he's so good at. That you got in Pan's Labyrinth, kind yeah. of like that movie, especially with the whole like Spanish Civil War and the the mirroring of the monster world and her reality and the way it ends. I thought it was just so precise, and it's sort of at the end of that movie is like. None of this was really magical, right? It, may, it maybe it was in her head, maybe it was real, but it just came together in a way that I don't think this movie totally does. Like, yeah, this I don't, I'm not sure this movie entirely earns its sort of uh, ending. Yeah, I really want to get into that. That'll be on the other side of spoilers, though. I think because the ending is a a pretty d- decent twist. I think it's pretty interesting on on a whole for the movie. In reversal, like a reversal on a lot of stuff you've seen before and there's some theories i think on different ways the ending can go but like, i'm not totally down on the ending and i a lot of people seem to really dig it enjoy it like i said i kind of wish either it had justified it more or had it been a sharper turn narratively mm. yeah i i thought the biggest problem with this was it just being really vacant emotionally and that's a problem with a lot of del toro movies he's going for that same thing he always is which is you touched on it the the outsiders uh the the people you know those who are different being beautiful and the real monster being you know mankind or usually men or yeah the monsters in this movie are like the normal looking conventionally attractive handsome people right? yeah that hellboy has the same thing right it's it's we we are the different ones and we are not the monsters it's the people who are treating us you know, unfairly, who are the true monsters? I was surprised there was no Ron Perlman in this uh, in this movie. He probably is somewhere, right? He's got to be somewhere, right, in the background or something. Um, but yeah, as as far as emotionally, the, even with Sally Hawkins, I didn't feel a heck of like a heck of a lot of emotion from anyone in this. The performances are great on their own, and the characters are well drawn, but. Uh, I I wasn't. I think mo- she, I feel like nothing moves to an, an emotional height really at any point. I think. I mean, she. I think she is great, but I think the problem is she's tasked to have this emotional bond without talking with so many separate characters, right? With the mm-hmm. the fishman, with Richard Jenkins, with Octavia Spencer, and even with Michael Stubar character at the end, right? But um, it's so hard to do that separately with so many different characters, right? That we don't totally get how rich and warm her character is just because she has to have that relationship with so many of the side characters and i feel like we're spending so much time with all of those other characters which for good reason they're all really good but i I, the connection between the two of amphibian man and eliza didn't feel very strong to me um and and a lot of that has to do with maybe the ending or interpretations you can have of the ending but uh, was that was that explanation of how they have sex not satisfying enough for you where she it's like a there's folds from blade two the, the, folds. the way the mouth looks from blade two <laughs> yeah i i that's very suggestive and it does a perfect job of that's gonna be one of the most uncomfortable conversations in the 2017 cinema yeah what did this fish dick look like and it's she doesn't talk it's just octavia and then she like she uses she her hands she she sort of does the motion yeah. and goes oh to me it's like it's, I, it's really funny i wanted more of those things in this movie yeah that's what del toro's maybe best at is these playful cartoonish character moments almost very 
pulpy and like for uh, for a movie where the romantic leads are uh, a, a mute <clears throat> woman and a fish man who have sex constantly. <laughs> uh, the movie's not that weird. It's pretty conventional. Yeah, that's exactly what I have down here. It, it's su- surprisingly conventional. Like. Like and they, they straightforward for such an outlandish premise, right? They establish that relationship and the premise of the movie so well and so quickly that um, it's not—it's pretty normal throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and and the tension doesn't really get to any high levels. It's nothing like Okja, where we're breaking out this this creature from this secret facility, and there's this. This, a- yeah. amazing this, action scene. There's not a lot of stakes. I don't feel. I would say there's like uh, there's very little in this movie in terms of the way in terms of that outside of the breaking mouths. I would say the only part is when um, they're they're trying to organize how he's going to go on, and then there's that weird uh, black and white musical sequence. Well, yeah, that is kind of a cool departure. And apparently, they he originally wanted to make the whole movie the in whole movie that black and white. Uh, which might have been interesting. It's that makes you even less money and screws <laughs> your movie over. But um, because um, that one scene, uh, I thought it was pretty good. But I think if had there been more, of, even maybe not necessarily being in black and white or having a musical scene, more of that weirdness or um, audacity, I wouldn't been more on board, more on board with the film. Just because there's that one element, I was like that seems still seemed pretty conventional, even within. It's it's a, it's a very it's, it's exactly what you think it is, isn't it? Yes, it's exactly what you think it is. And and that scene at the end, I thought was really beautifully done. The way we go into her head, and uh, yeah, that that's really good. But all of this this whole thing is exactly what what the pitch tells you. If, it, if it doesn't go anywhere that you're not expecting it to. If you close your eyes, and I told you to think of a Guillermo del Toro. American movie set in the past with at least one monster element and based on some sort of outsider group. I would say that you, whatever you thought of, this is that movie exactly. And complete with the unnecessary debatable violence that was in Pan's Labyrinth. I guess that was more justified because it was about wartime. So outside of... This, I think, there's less of a reason for some of the violence to be here. But there's even very little violence in this movie. I don't know. There's... For Del Toro, at least. Del Toro has an obsession with cheek violence. He really hates it when your cheek is nice and pristine. He really wants his characters to have their cheeks torn open. I'm sorry. Is, or sliced open. What's what's no, what's not normal about that? <laughs> so what was the point of having that whole Pan's Labyrinth scene of watching him slowly stitch his fucking mouth back together? What was... Is, is he just a hardcore bastard? It's a hardcore motherfucker who will mess you up? Well, how else Stitch gonna, his face back up? Well, how else is he going to stitch his face? Like, his, did his we face need heel? to see that in such detail? Do There's we, a scene in Pan's... Or in we, Shape we need of to, Water with... With an intense, equally intense cheek scene. Do we need to have uh, a guy with uh, eyeballs in his hands? <laughs> no, that 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 that, w- that just looked cool, man. That I mean, that scene you're you're, you're referencing is the probably the most violent part, uh, and it's where sort of uh, Michael Shannon kind of gets his it culmination of his like douchebaggery. Yeah, yeah, you know it's coming, right? Yeah. Um, but this movie is is beautiful, if anything. It's like it's gorgeous. It's I don't know how they made this for Del Toro's, $19.5 million. Yeah, it's, it's his nicest looking film for sure. I love the way we open on this flooded house where everything's kind of settling back. 
down to earth? Like, is it maybe backwards? Is just the we're we're floating through a flooded version of Eliza's apartment. I think as the opening credits are going, um, and it's just this elegant way to show her. Uh, I guess it's foreshadowing for the ending, maybe a little bit, but um, then we get to the egg timer masturbation scenes, which there are there are several of, and we get uh, the movie takes its time establishing I, this routine. Right, we I, get her daily routine very quickly, and and the movie doesn't really waste any time getting to the main plot and the creature. I do like the theme that every person, even people who are outsiders, people who are, uh, she's not like her character, like they're outsiders and people who are differently able, people with all different things are sexual beings. And that's an integral part of our humanity. And the, obviously the, you know, the, the merman character is also a sexual being in this movie. Uh, I think that's a really cool reminder theme. <laughs> told in the, the, some of the weirdest ways. It's I guess. a bit clunky, right? I mean, yeah, I think it, the fact that they just start off the movie doing it that way with the egg timer and so uh, explicitly is is interesting. I feel like Del Toro handles it. Benicio Del Toro. Um, <laughs> Spelled with two E's. Yeah, I feel like he handles it well. This isn't distasteful or anything. Yeah, and like the joke where uh, Octavia Spencer asks physically how do they have sex. Yeah, yeah. That, that, could, that could have been terrible, and it's not. Well, yeah, the, the movie does a good job of keeping things elegant and, and picturesque, I guess. We're not getting graphic. We don't need to. No. I don't I mean, know if that's a spoiler. I think people are coming into this maybe expecting some really funky stuff. Like, I mean, we joke that there are uh, these weird sex scenes, but they're pretty, all things considered, they're pretty tame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a scene where Richard Jenkins mentions a monkey's head on a fish's body. Which is like, I guess, reference to the weird experiments that are happening at this facility, and also a reference to P.T. Barnum, the greatest showman, of course. Oh, uh, I can I can talk about the movie now. Well, yeah, who who at one point tried to dupe people into thinking this is a mermaid. Actually, I just ripped the head off a dead monkey and stuck it on a fish. It's twenty five cents. Come see this thing. I will say this about uh, the greatest showman <laughs> versus this movie, Shape of Water. This movie could use way more montages. You think? Yeah, there was like zero. I think it maybe could have used more musical scenes. Oh, written by the Law and uh, composers. If, if the musical scene in, in Shape of Water was as good as The Greatest Showman. They didn't drop the beat in this. Uh, what? No, no. There was no lookout because here I come or anything like that. This is me. Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it, they actually do actually, share a lot of similarities, I'm, I'm thinking, as I'm, we're getting into this. Like, mash these two movies together and you got something there. You know, you throw in a bearded lady singing. <laughs> like, those songs thematically fit right into this movie. You swap directors, maybe? Yeah. Guillermo del Toro's. Well, apparently, also, did you know this broke this week that apparently um, the Logan director, James Mangold, helped direct part of. Uh, yeah, do some reshoots on that, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, Shape of Water. Michael Shannon, we've mentioned this. His performance is on the broad side. This is exactly what you hire Michael Shannon for, right? Like, you, you, you call his agent and you say, can Michael Shannon do Michael Shannon standard? We just need him on regular yeah, gear. He's in, he's in general Zod mode, definitely. He's just on autopilot, like, all right, I'll just do the thing I do. And, He's fine. I, I had a lot of fun watching him chew the scenery up. He's really scary. And the idea of him with these rotting fingers 
sort of infecting his whole character i thought was a cool the, thing the, the payoff to that the whole hand that was the so oh he's squeezing it oh and it's my God. squirting that that's really good man that's really good I, I i wanted a little bit more of that maybe his character start mutating or something would have been neat if he had if he had turned into uh why not why uh, the fuck not i don't know that would have added a, maybe an interesting layer to this that we don't get because the, again standard pretty expected there's no real spoilers here it's, other than the finale i would say if this movie came out uh, during like non-awards time i think i might like it. just because it's getting lumped in it's you want to be a little better than it is i feel like there's some potential for uh, like uh performance nominations here um everyone ha everyone is great michael shannon that that great line he has in the bathroom where he says uh, a man washes his hands before or after he does his business, uh, but not but not both. It shows a weakness in character, which is a great line. Or but clean, when or cleanliness, but when when Michael Shannon delivers it, it's just it hangs in the air, and it's just because he's so dry, right? He's he's awesome. That that whole that scene is such a power move where he's peeing in front of these uh, female janitors, <laughs> yeah, and like all, and just all, spraying it, and yeah. And, like, does not let them leave. And then afterwards, when uh, he's just talking to them, it's, it's so so disturbing. Yeah, yeah. He's just waving his masculinity around, flapping it. Literally. Yeah, flapping it around. Um, but Richard Jenkins, give him a heart because he's the most adorable human being. He's so hilarious, too. His character is perfect for this movie. These... He, is, he is one of my favorite actors. And if you thought that... Richard Jenkins was just a great human being and yeah. always played amazing, perfect, um, like decent human being characters. Then this just is another one to stack on the list, right? Like he is his finest work since uh, Hall Pass. Oh no, I was gonna say Burn After Reading. You know, working at uh, what? What's it? Oh, the the gym with uh, Francis McDormand. Yeah, yeah. What's it called? Hard bodies. <laughs> no, no offense to Francis McDormand and Richard Jenkins, but I I can't picture those a, as gym employees. That's what's so great about Burn After Reading. Come on. No, uh, he's really great, and the payoff to this the scene, the payoff to his sort of uh, sexuality is so heartbreaking. Oh man, and he's just there's he's closeted, and it's the '60s, and he has no way of. Like it's it's it just shows how difficult that you know that struggle is, uh, and his like the the the, the reveal of why uh, of like how often he has pie is so hilarious. Oh man, I wanted L to eat literally pie. Yeah, like most disgusting looking pie, green pie. Well, it's the key lime again, but it's lime that is like the color green, not they've, even because this is a Hulk movie, man. They've they've saturated up the color. It's the brightest green I've ever seen because this is a Hulk film. And they're not letting you. Get, they're not letting you. For, I swear like, to God, like like Angley Hulk. There's something green in every frame of this movie. I think Del Toro made that decision. Ironically, the amphibious man not that green. I feel like Richard Jenkins has no reason to go along with this weird, crazy amphibian man plot. Though he just kind of accepts it and says, "Yeah, let's, I'm going to help you break this guy out." We don't even get a scene of him learning about it or contemplating the the existence of monsters or he, well, he's just along for the ride that part is a little rush but the fact that he's he's hesitant at first and then something happens and he comes back and he says that i love you and i want to support you and if this we have to if you have to do this then i'm going to help you that is pretty great 
once we have Amphibian Man out of the facility, why is there this weird ticking clock element to the plot in which we have to wait for this reservoir to fill up with water in order to release him? Like, wh- why can he not jump into... Is, is Do we have to mix him slowly into salt water or something? Or uh, So they have to move him on a day it rains, and then she goes to the dock and sees when they're going to empty it out to go into the ocean, right? That part is a little, like, we c- don't convenient. We don't really know why they can't release him immediately. Like, uh, there's no convincing reason that we get that, hey, let's just let him out now. They say that it ha- has to be done in the rain. Right? Is there any reason for that? Because he's a a, a sea creature. He's I an mean, amphibian man. They could say something for that not to be true. Okay, just wait for it to rain. Why do we have to wait for this reservoir? They have to. She marks it on the calendar. Because then he can't escape into the ocean because it's closed off. But just jump into the ocean at another. Just find a different dock. I'm just telling you what they're they, what they say in the movie. It makes zero sense, Rick. It makes sense in terms of they want it to unfold this way, so they gave you the least amount of reasoning to do it. Right? It's efficient. If they had given us any more reason, it, it's going to unfold the way it does because that's the movie, right? Sure. They, they could have done it and explained it more, but w- would you really wanted that? Well, the the reason why we can't release him immediately is so that Fishman and Eliza can have sex fuck and yeah. fall in love. Also so like it's just it's literally an how, arbitrary how, extension of the plot for for no justifiable reason. Gotta say how well sealed is her uh is her bathroom. Well, how does that work? It's it's a leaky old house and they flood the whole thing. I got news for you. If you try a to- apparently a towel underneath your door That's all you need to do. Is it can seal a room. Yeah. So if you're smoking in the bathroom, just do that, and if you can flood the whole thing. <laughs> um, and then there's these healing powers, right? So, so do you want to talk about the ending? There's not a lot of information we get. I wanted more mythology out of this movie. So I totally did not get this while I was watching the movie. And I guess I saw it a little early, so this theory hadn't gone there. But there, some people uh, presuppose that her scars, that, uh, the reason why she can't talk, are part of uh, like where gills could be, and she could be a sea creature like the amphibious man. It's a question of whether or not she was a sea creature this whole time, waiting to be and a- then, awakened. And the creature has uh, well, is 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 established as having godlike magical powers outside of just being this creature, right? And at the end of the movie, he does he heals himself, and then he, I don't know, gives her gills. Yeah, and I love that that that. Brought me around on the whole movie, to be honest. Really? I was not high on that. Well, depending on your Cause, cause, your interpretation of it, the way I took it was... Did you did did you get any of that while you were watching the movie the first time? Well, Dan, who I was with, I guess he had seen... I, you see the scars the whole movie. Friend of the show, Dan Nichols? Yes, of course. Took me to the... T- took me to the... To the critics-only screening, I suppose. Uh, and, and the... The, the scars on her neck are there the whole movie, and I'm just an idiot. I never... I saw them, and they looked... They looked like similar a, to his gills. But I never made that connection. Yeah, me and, neither. And so when he sort of awakens those, it, it just felt like a beautiful... Just thematically, it was a beautiful sort of wrap back to recontextualize the whole movie. It made the, the whole movie go full circle. Yeah, and, and now I have... 
my question answered, which I was wondering the whole time, which is why the hell do I care? And about- they also mentioned like uh, her backstory, how she she was found by water, water, right? Found by the the ocean or something. And yeah. she has no like family history. So it's it's a nice way from. It's unfortunate it comes at the end of the film, but it it gives me reason to care about their relationship, which I kind of was struggling with for a little bit. I, why is she so obsessed with this fish man? Why is this connection so deep? So is she like a Leela from Futurama, where it's like uh, she's like the most quote unquote human normal looking one of the sea creatures, and they just send her out into the world so because she could pass as a human being. See, that's where it makes no sense if if. It, it devalues how unique amphibian man is if she is amphibious amphibious man if eliza is another version of these weird fish people and she just happens to be a janitor of the facility exactly and just happens to look like a regular human so it, it is i guess it's left open for interpretation it is a bit weird and it does change the whole reading of the movie depending on which way it goes i don't i'm not a huge uh about how they undid them both being shot. Well, that's that's the Wolverine effect for you. So it's everywhere. You pop those bullets out of your body, right? How many uh, times have we seen that? Well, I mean, at least um, with Wolverine, like that's been a, like firmly established. But there's there's other things before we we jumped ahead to the ending. But before we get there, there's a few other things that happen, including a possible pregnancy suggestion i think after maybe the first or second time we get our fish fuck on how uh, dare you yeah i know right uh, eliza's on the bus and she can kind of control these water droplets which i'm guessing is just a nice little dream sequence oh i didn't even notice that she remember when she's got her hand on, no, the, on I know the window you, i know what you're talking about but i didn't get the impression that she controlled them well they're following her finger uh-huh and then we zoom into the actual window and we get this strange sequence of water droplets forming and these two droplets mixing and splitting apart. Um, I took it to be like, some like sort of... Like her egg being fertilized? I, I, it looks kind of like... these Or these two eggs are coming together and, and existing side by side. Um, the shape of water too. More shapes, less water. I don't know. Is she pregnant? I don't, I don't fucking know. But the, the the song and dance number inside her head, beautiful. The only time we actually hear her voice in the movie, yeah, I love that payoff. Is is through song, so you know it's not really happening. That I thought was marvelous, beautifully done. That's Del Toro kind of cracking out to. He's cracking to a new layer, I think, with some of that stuff. But he has no idea how to shoot a musical number, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, Th- this movie's fine. Like we said, it's it's exactly what you expect. It is right. Like it meets your expectations and nothing more. I mean, it's solid. It's beautiful, and the ending image we close on is that them the poster right floating in the water together. She obviously has gills now, so she's she's and that living is, with the and, fish people. And that is the true shape of water. Love. <sighs> The shape of water, just gills, maybe. That makes no sense, Scott. Come on. So he gives her he he heals her scars and turns them into gills. That's L- let's be honest. It's more likely that she's a human being, obviously, and he's taking her tragic. Who who was who's just been shot? Yeah, he's taking her tragic, abused 
childhood and turning it into something beautiful so she can exist in a in a world that will accept her i don't know but the idea of the fact that she can't talk being related to maybe the fact that she doesn't have vocal cords and she actually has gills like is that what's going on she can't speak because she has gills there she has she has a power she never knew she she had all all this time i don't, I don't he know unlocked it for her right typical hollywood gotta gotta meet a man to make you feel special yeah you you always do or a weird fish guy he's still a man i want more he is he's he's jacked they make him look sexy right it's as sexy as you can get with a scaly man yeah shout out to D- doug jones right he's got a he's got a physique and they're like he's a sexy fish man we need to everyone to understand why she's attracted to him uh we, we i wish we had more explanation of where this fish guy came from. There's no context or uh, mythology. Scott. He's from South America. Argentina. Argentina. Is that where the creature from the Black Lagoon was set? I have no idea. Where's the Black Lagoon? Is it in Argentina? Like the the movie? Yeah, like where, the Black Lagoon, the said lagoon that is black. Well, I mean... That has said creature inside of it. Where where What country is said lagoon located in? In our hearts. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. It's from our own Black Lagoons. <laughs> Uh, what are you giving the shape of water out of ten? Uh, I don't. I would say like a seven, seven and a half. Yeah, I'm going there too. It's it's we were kind of harsh on it. No, it's good, but it is a good movie. But I mean, it's I'm, not a great movie. It's nowhere near my top of the year list. I was disappointed with this slightly, especially with it winning the the top award at. Venice, I think, and, you know, ex- and expectations are a funny thing because uh, when this movie uh, played at TIFF, it was like it went gangbusters, and like the award buzz just set off immediately, and uh, we didn't see it until much later. But by that time, it kind of worn off, and it's just like there's no like one thing about the movie where you're like that is awesome, right? Like everyone's good, solid story, but nothing is remarkable. I would say. Truly remarkable. Yeah, you know, like even you know, uh, I, 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 like even like three billboards was like that performance, that's difficult subject matter, right? Or to me, even like I Tanya, uh, Margot Robbie is incredible. Even if you don't like that movie, right? There's like not this movie is just really good. It's solid. Not like all the parts work together. Like, I wouldn't say any one part of the movie is, like, a standout. It's just everything is very solid and efficient. We had a lot of that this year, didn't we? There's, I would say we had a lot of, like... It's a good year. We had a great year for movies, and there's a lot of stuff that's just this great contenders in another year, perhaps. But like, my best movies are, like, almost perfect, and then a lot of movies where they're, like, pretty good or, like... The a few performances were amazing, and the movie is like still not as good as those performances, right? I think it's just one of those things where it's more evenly distributed, like talent, writing, direction, all these. Yeah, everyone is like on on even playing fields, right? Uh, I mean, like something even like Dunkirk. It's well, it's because it's a culmination of this guy's entire career, right? Most of these other movies, it's like. Uh, really good direct, really like these are like the second wave of these directors' movies. Although, probably two of my top movies were made by you know first time directors. What Get Out, Get Out, and Lady Bird. Yeah, 
We won't get. We don't get it in. We're not gonna get. I did do a rewatch of Get Out this week. I forgot to mention it, and it's so much better the second time. Really? Yeah. I'm because I'm every, scared to watch it again because my first viewing was so good. Oh man, I I initiated a couple of the 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 standing ovation clap situations in that one, especially at the end. That how great is that end? It's incredible. But the 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 whole movie works even before that point when you have all of the foreshadowing. Yeah. Every single thing that the Armitage family says has some form of foreshadowing or double meaning have you seen or that, have you seen crazy that, racial context. Have you seen that Vanity Fair vote, uh, video of uh, Jordan Peele addressing all of the Reddit theories? Yeah, yeah. That's, so good. That is amazing. Some of them are really great. That's our review, Shape of Water. That's our episode. Next week, we might be reviewing Bright. We don't know. We might be reviewing Downsizing. Rick, what the hell do we do? I mean, As someone who saw both movies. Yeah, you're probably not going to join us, but uh, we don't know where to go next week. So let us know. There's Vertical so many movies coming out. At gmail.com. Yeah, it's, it's fully loaded. Uh, I want to see Phantom Threat. Molly's Game. The Post. We need a review of that as well, because that might win Best Picture. We have our top 10 of the year coming in January. Uh, the Oscar Isaac Awards. You know it better as... Yes, email us, verticalviewing at gmail.com. Rick, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at rickchung.com or at rickchung on Twitter and Instagram mm. or at yvrk.com. That's the letters YV and the word rk.com or at those handles. Oh, damn. Okay. Uh, you can find me at Scott Wilson BC. Two L's. Yes, two L's. You can also find the podcast at Vertical Viewing, of course. Verticalviewing.com's donate button will bring you to PayPal where it's only going to be a one night thing but if you want to get into a long term relationship that's where Patreon comes in vertical viewing on Patreon there's hydrogen, there's helium, there's lithium levels available. Is there an amphibious level? No, that could be the $4 level but $1, 2 or $3 subscriptions they get you in if you want to suggest a review. Go on there The Big Lebowski is fresh it's probably my favorite review I'm not going to lie. The best review I've ever put out there it's really? the Big Lebowski, and it's behind a paywall, people. It's worth it. Is it really? Yeah. Is it worth a white Russian? Uh, yeah. You can spit one out, too, as well. Spit takes are classic in that. Yeah, vertical viewing on iTunes, TuneIn, Radio, uh, Stitcher is bullshit. You know, all the places where you can get podcasts. Rate and review the show. Rick, are there any final words? Guys, keep it vertical. Oh, that's it, eh? That's it. Okay. Simple.